Tonight, we are taking a look at one of the Psalms that uh, large portions of it are going to be very familiar. Uh, and uh, we picked a song uh, that was very familiar as well, though actually not one of our hymns. If you'll go ahead and go to the next slide. Uh, it's going to be Psalm 139 to, the, 139 to the tune of Before the throne of God above. We've sung it a lot in here. I know it's not the oldest song, but I think we're going to have a good time with it. Let's stand uh, as we sing Psalm 139 together. You've searched me and you've known me, Lord. You know it when I sit and rise. You see my thinking from Yeah. 
Good evening. This morning and for the past several weeks, we've been talking about practical Christianity. And one of the things that the scriptures teach us is that those who practice the Christian faith the best are those who have put the greatest thought into the God behind our faith. This is why I love the Psalms. My, my, I feel my theology was built in the Psalms. When I'm in distress, when I'm in despair, when I'm fearful of the future, when I feel that I'm alone, when I am elated, when I'm filled with joy, whatever condition that I'm in, there's a psalm that speaks to that. And the psalmists were men. This one is a psalm of David. The psalmists were men who put considerable thought into the God that we serve. And so I, I wonder, tonight as we get into this psalm, let's put the question there, how much do you think about God? How often do you think about him? How often does he come before your mind? Have you ever meditated over him? Have you ever sat down to be alone and to think about and to consider this God? And if you have, what did it do? What effect did it have? One of the things that strikes me is that the psalmists are often contemplative in their initial parts of their psalm, or there's a problem at the initial part of the psalm, and then as they think more and more on God, it seems that they find an answer just in thinking about him. But they're not only thinking about him, they're also talking about him. When you go into the Bible, you look at men like David, who was a young man, a young shepherd, just a, you get the idea that he was adolescent. Maybe, maybe he wasn't as little as we sometimes depict him as. He was, he, he, he was able to hold himself. He had struck down lions already. But he was a young man. He was not out on the front lines. He clearly wasn't seen as a warrior. And there's this great giant that comes into uh, Israel to taunt the people of God. He says, give me, your, give me your best. Give me the best that there is, and I'll, I'll slay him. I'll destroy him. He stood nine feet tall. Just imagine a man nine feet tall. I think Wimby is like seven foot five or seven foot four. And if you've seen him on a basketball court, it's, it's amazing. But he's not nine foot. Imagine a nine footer. And he wasn't tall and skinny. He was ginormous. Imagine a being that big with a spearhead that weighs 15 pounds. Imagine the boisterous voice that's calling out, looking you in the face and saying, I will destroy you. Give me your best. That would be, that would be a rattling thing, wouldn't it? David goes out there and he doesn't miss a beat. David looks at him and he, he simply says, 
you have defied the living God. And God today will give you into my hands. There was a profound confidence. A confidence to take down this great enemy that had the best warriors of Israel shaking in their boots. And it was found in a young man. It was found in a man who had not yet been to war. He went out there. He wouldn't wear the armor. He went out there with a sling and some stones. The Lord will give you into my hands. He was assured of it. He was confident of it. Can you imagine having that kind of confidence as you face life? Imagine going out into the world that we live in that sometimes has us withdrawing, that sometimes has us feeling reclusive, that sometimes has us feeling hopeless. Imagine going into the world with the kind of confidence of a person like David. It amuses me. I want that. Don't you want that? These are the kinds of thoughts of a man who went and did what David did. In fact, these are the words of David. Psalm 139 are the words of David. And I just want to walk through these. It's very interesting. He speaks to God's omniscience. He speaks to God's omnipresence. So God's knowing everything. God's being everywhere. And then he, he makes a conclusion that is based in the omnipotence of God. God's having all power. God can do all things. And he makes a couple of requests in that regard. One, for the enemies of God, and two, for his own life. And so that's kind of a breakdown of this text. So let's look at this together. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before, this is, this is amazing, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God doesn't just know as an all-seeing eye would know. God doesn't just know like, a, like a, a giant eyeball in the sky that's, that knows based on what he sees. That's Satan. That's sa Satan is able to know based on the things that he sees, although he isn't all places at once. Sometimes we think that he is, but he's not. These, these qualities are only true of God. God doesn't just see and know in that capacity. God sees right into the person. God sees inter internally. Before a word comes out, God knew the word in here. That's awesome. Before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So he says, you hem me in. Behind and before. And your hand is laid above me. Your hair hand is laid upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So in this first section, David is saying God knows everything. He knows everything. There was a little bird uh, a few weeks ago that uh, the kids were sitting at the table, and the bird flew right into the window and fell down right there. And uh, just so that we don't have a, a bad ending tonight, I want you to know it did come back. Um, uh, a, little, a little while later, it, it, it got up and shook itself off and then flew away. So it, it was good. But Jesus said 
There's not even a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from God's knowledge. God's aware of that. God knows how many hairs you have on your head. God knows everything. He knows every person in the universe. He knows every single detail about them. He knows what is happening with every ant in the Amazon forest. Jesus, it says in Colossians, is upholding the universe by a word of his power. He's involved in all of it. He knows everything. There is no escaping the knowledge of God. He knows my name, my behaviors, my thoughts, and he even knows all of my days, which we'll see in just a little bit. But the thing that interests me is he doesn't just know it like an observer would know something, but he knows it actively. He knows it proactively. He knows it intentionally. God, God's not just watching like someone who's just aware of this, but notice the words that he uses. He says, you have searched me. You have searched me. God has investigated me. God has gone from his high throne to look down to see who I am and what I am and what I'm doing. Notice this. You discern my thoughts from afar. God, seated in the heavens, looks down and he contemplates the thinking of Daniel Mayfield and James McCoy. And Larry Bell. From his high throne, he looks down and he looks into the mind of every man and woman and he actually discerns what are they thinking? Why are they thinking that? That's pretty awesome. You search out my path and my lying down, and on the basis of that, you are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it all together. So David just, he goes into this state of doxology, and he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Verse 6, it is high, I cannot attain it. And my question is, why is God so concerned? He's not just observing. He's seeking out. He's actively looking. He looks into my mind and yours, and he discerns our thoughts. He discerns our intentions. You remember that passage in Hebrews chapter 4 that speaks of the word of God being living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's, it's discerning. It's discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So this is God. He's doing this. And so he has an active stake. God does. And my question is, why, is he, why isn't he just watching? Why is he seeking it out? Why does he care? Why is he discerning it? And the answer is given in verses 13 through 16. David says, For you formed my inward parts, my organs, my blood vessels, my my brain. You formed them. You did that, God. You were the one. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. David is contemplating the work of God in creating life. God did it. When we were having our 
three children, it's, it was amazing every single time that at six weeks you could go in and hear a heartbeat. And there was this formless, tiny cluster of cells that had a heartbeat, and it was beating, and you could hear it. And then you come in a couple of months later, and there's this tiny little person with arms and legs and a little tiny head, and they're kind of starting to take shape. And you wonder, what in the world happened between there and then? And the thing that Miranda always said was, it's amazing to me. I don't, I don't have to think about it. I'm not, I'm not working on it, but my body is doing it. It's just growing this amazing human being. And we marveled at it together. Every single time we looked on an ultrasound, every time we saw the work of God there, and David saying the reason why it goes from zygote to cluster cells that has a beating heart to this little tiny baby to a full, you know, full-fledged infant. The reason why is because God was doing it. God was working it. God was knitting the baby together. David's amazed at this. I think about it, and I am amazed at this. It brings me to a state of worship, to think about God doing what it is that God is doing. So he says, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Why is he saying, wonderful are your works, God? Because he's sitting and he's thinking about the works of God. You want to praise the living God. You want to have confidence in the living God. Sit down and contemplate the works of God of God. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. I'm amazed by that. That's staggering. He says, God, before a word comes on my tongue, you know it. He says, God, before I even emerged into this world, every single one of my days was known by you. You knew all of them. Every single one of them was written in your book. How much does God know? How big is God? How sovereign is God? These things bring me to worship why is God so caring about the thoughts and the intentions and the ways and the paths and the lying down of man why is he so concerned because he's the creator he's the creator of man he made us and he didn't just make Adam and Eve and then set the world into motion where everything's just going he's still doing it He is creating new life every day. This is the work of God to do this. God cares because he is the designer. He is the maker. God designed man. He made man in his image. We bear the image of God, and so he loves us. He created us, and so he loves us. I saw an article the other day. There are a couple of ladies that were in the Louvre in Paris, and they took some soup and they threw it on the Mona Lisa. I don't know if anybody else saw this. A few months ago, they threw some soup on Vincent Van Gogh's uh, sunflowers. And uh, some of them have, they've been doing similar things like this. It's, it's some, uh, they're, they're activists of some sort. <clears throat> what, what strikes me is this. 
the whole world is aware. The whole world sees the art of Van Gogh and the art of, was it Da Vinci from the Mona Lisa? I should know that. I took like seven art history classes in college, but it's been a long time. Everyone knows. This is what's amazing to me. Every single person knows, except for, for those that are doing it. They're doing it to make a point. They're saying, look, we'll destroy this. There's this beautiful thing. We will destroy it. And the rest of the world looks and they say, you should never do that. That was the work of that person. That person put time into it. That person put intention into it. That person put their, uh, their skills into it. That was their design. That was their work. Everyone knows you don't destroy the work of an artist. Well, God cares about human beings, every single human being, because he is the maker of every human being. David is thinking about this, and he's contemplating it. God knows everything. But not only does God know everything, but God is everywhere. David says, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I send, ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. This contemplation allowed David, when he was alone in the wilderness, or when he was on the run from an enemy, to not lose his faith in God. He knew wherever I am, the highest place, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I'm in the grave, you're there. If I'm on the wings of the morning, in the air, you're there. If I'm in the depths of the sea, you're there. You are everywhere. If it's darkness all around me, you're there. And he says, I know that it's not dark for you because he says, for you formed my inward parts. Those dark places that man can't see, God can see them, and God did form them. So David is praising God, and he's thinking about the omnipresence of God. When Hagar cried out to God because she was being mistreated by Sarai, and she fled into the wilderness, one of the things that she said when God came to comfort her was, truly you are a God who sees. God brought a word of comfort because he could see and he was there. In the New Testament, when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a prison cell, and he's writing one of the most joyful books in all of the New Testament, namely the book of Philippians that we were looking at this morning, and he was calling on the Christians there to rejoice. You remember what it was that he said there in Philippians chapter 4 that I said is, is paramount for us to overcome anxiety. What did he say? The Lord is near. Jesus, getting ready to leave the world, said, I am with you always. The great men and women of faith through history were great in their faith because they always knew God is near. God is with me. He is not far. He's not far from you. When you leave this place tonight, he is with you. When you lie down to go to bed, he is with you. When you travel to work, God is with you. When you go into that meeting that may bring bad news, God is with you. When you face that great trial or that great problem, God is with you. God is near all the time. And God is omnipotent. God can do all things. God is not stopped by anything. He speaks first of God being able to make people. He makes them, and he brings about life. This is great power. He speaks of God being everywhere. 
speaks of God knowing all of our days. And so he says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they're more than the sand. I awake, and I'm still with you. I wake in the morning, and you're still there. You never left me through the night. I went to sleep praying. I woke up in the morning, and you're still there. You're still with me. I'm still with you. And so he, he says a couple of things as a result of this. This is his reflection. Now, you get the idea here in this psalm that David was having some trouble with an enemy, whether it was personal enemy or national enemy. Um, we're not sure. But what's interesting is David's primary issue is that these enemies were against God. David is speaking of those who take the name of God in vain. And his, his problem or his, his request to God, and we're not, I don't want to get too much into this tonight. These are, this is an imprecatory. Have you ever heard that, that term before? Imprecatory? How many have heard it? Okay, three. Uh, these, 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 okay, four, I saw a fourth one. I saw someone back there. Um, a few of us have heard of this. In imprecatory psalms are, you've read through the psalms, and they're just all of a sudden out of the middle of nowhere. God, here's my enemies. They're here. They're a big problem for me. Uh, smash their teeth, or some, something like that. These, these are psalms of, of curses. Psalm 69 is, uh, is a very, very prominent one. Psalm 137 is a very prominent one. I'm, I'm not, the point of tonight is not to get into the theological tensions with that. So, but I am going to eventually, we're going to have a, a whole night where we're going to look at an imprecatory psalm and see how it relates to the Christian walk, because it does. It's the wrong idea to say, well, that's Old Testament, we're New Testament, and so we just throw those out. They still have great value, and they form our thinking in a number of ways. So we're going to look at that, but the main thing that I want you to see tonight is simply that because of God's awareness of everything, because of God's presence everywhere, and because of his power over everything, whatever enemies there are of God, he can deal with them. Whatever enemies there are of God, he can deal with them. Whatever enemies there are of the church, he can deal with them. That We have to reflect on these things. Because as I see it, and I've, I've, I've been bringing this almost every Sunday night, this same idea from these psalms, because I see it all through the psalms. We have a, we have a, a, a whole m media outlet, I mean, just that, that's, that's bent on selling a bad view of the world, that's, that's bent on selling a bleak outlook, a bleak prospect. It isn't bleak for us. Whatever enemies there are of God, he will deal with them. In the New Testament, we're called to certain things. Romans chapter 12. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. Do not take out vengeance, says God, for vengeance is mine. I will repay, says God. God says, I will do it. I will eventually, in, when the time is right, I will take care of the enemies of God's people. 
There are dark enemies in the world that want to squelch and they, they want to uh, they want to cover up truth. They want to destroy God's definitions for love and for marriage and for sexuality and for gender. They want to destroy the unborn children. There are enemies of God that exist in the world, and God will deal with them. We simply bring those things to God. This is one of the reflections of David. And the other one, so it, we'll, I'm just going to skip over these for now. We will eventually come back to that. But um, the, the other one, and then we'll be finished, is look at how he finishes this. Because God knows everything, because God is everywhere, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. God, look into my heart and see if there be any grievous way in me, if there's anything that stands at odds with you and your will Make it known to me. Lead me in the way, the everlasting way. Lead me in the righteous way. Show me. I want to know. This is an amazing reflection. He's thinking about God knows everything. God's everywhere. God has all power, and it leads him to a repentant heart. He doesn't even know of any particular sins that he needs to repent of, but he says, God, you do know. You know all things. You discern my thoughts from afar. You look down and you see them. And so I would say, and I want to leave this with you tonight, say this prayer to God. Pray out verses 23 and 24. Ask God to make known those things and to lead us in the everlasting way. God is the Savior of all. And his first and his primary intention with those that he's made is to bring salvation to them. God loves you. He wants your salvation. And he has worked all through history to bring it. If you have any need at all, if you want to come to Jesus, our Savior, if you want to give your life to this great God that we worship, there's an opportunity for you while we stand and while we sing Psalm 139. Yeah.